Hello, Great Minds. It's Tuesday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History as we get ready to explore the mind behind the Great Mind, the psychology of the Bonnie Prince. That's right, it's time for a twist of psych. So welcome to the show, everyone, our first Twist of Psych episode of Season 4. As always, I'm your host, Mr. DGMH, otherwise known as Zach Tobacco, and today we are going to dive into the mind behind the great mind to try and better understand what made our Charlie 3 committed, foolish, headstrong, egotistical, who knows? Actually, that's not up to me. I was told long ago not to drive what Sherry was going to talk about. It's up to her. But, you know, let's talk about that. Who's with us? Who could this mystery person be? None other than our psychology all-star. All yeah, all-star, all-star. Our psychology all-star, Wawa Ice Queen, Dr. Sherry Valencic. Welcome back to DGMH for a twist of psych, Sherry. How are you doing tonight? Hello, Zach. Always good to be with you and be able to talk. I miss I miss our daily talks. I do, I do too. I, I know we were chatting that my family was in town, your family was in town, and then, uh, you know, I've been starting my new job this week, so texting for me has been like an afterthought, but the other night, Sherry and I got to text about something that felt good, then I started watching a show. That was last night, actually, because <laughs> I, I text her back. I was like typing to you. I'm like, oh, this person has to get up at five something, six something o'clock. I can't text them at 11.45 when I was watching Father Brown, which is a story we can talk about on another day. I love Father Brown. Any Father Browners out there. But Sherry's face said what I was uh, thinking, and I can't wait to hear her thoughts on the Bonnie Prince. <laughs> but it's so good to have you back. But before we get into the, the history and every and the psychology, what are you drinking tonight, Sherry? Well, there's going to be a theme to what I'm going to talk about. Is it shitty beer? Is it shitty beer? Because I don't need that joke right now. I don't, I don't drink shitty beer. I'm too old to drink shitty beer. Um, no, so the theme tonight is going to have to do with the understanding of vocabulary. So I chose. Uh, I said homage right this time. Just, just trust me where I'm going with this. So uh, I decided to drink Pernicious, uh, which is a fabulous. First of all, it's a fabulous name for a beer. Um, secondly, it is a great IPA. I'm a big IPA fan uh, from Wicked Weed Brewing Company, which is out of Asheville. And because I'm going to be talking about a lot of vocabulary, I just thought it was it was good to just. Are you going to make fun of my? Did I misuse a word again? <laughs> is that what? This ways. Oh, great, 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 great. I love the episodes where I get made fun of. Well, I am drinking an IPA too. I'm drinking Elysian uh, Space Dust IPA. It was a gift. Uh, Sherry did this very nice thing for me on my going away party. She had everybody bring me a beer that they associate with me and somebody, I can't remember who brought me this IPA. Where's it from? Uh, oh, oh, Elysian is out of, do, 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 do. I don't drink it that much. It's out of, um, brewed and bottled by the Elysian Brewing Company in Seattle, Washington and a bunch of other places. I don't know where it's originally from. I only brought one of these. I have a yingling in the back and the wings for maybe when we get to Patreon land or something. Cause otherwise I start drinking my tequila and that's dangerous. I can only do one pernicious and then I have to take a break. That's what I said. I have to, I'm only doing one Elysian and then I'm going to grab a Yingling. Uh, but well, let's get to it. I have no idea. I can already tell this is going to be one of those episodes. Uh, so we'll see. That only means great things for Patreon content though. Uh, but let's get to it. It's it, it was odd. I didn't really, for the first time in a long time, have any unique psychology concepts that came to mind as I wrote, recorded, or even re-listened to this episode. Normally I have something I want to ask Sherry about. Um, but, oh, you had plenty? Is that what you're saying? Is your face saying you had plenty? 
what is there even to talk about this? Oh my gosh, we didn't even do the song yet. Uh, you know, I did think maybe the say, you know, the dedication to the lost cause, which uh, you know, reminded me of that culture of honor thing we talked about, even with Charlie too. Uh, maybe just for Patreons. But either way, I can't wait to hear what Sherry has brought for us. But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. All right, Sherry, we did this last season and we're following the rules here. Before you even dive into the psychology, I want to give you a chance to share your thoughts on Bonnie Prince Charlie. So where does BPC, Bonnie Prince Charlie, fall on the Sherry scale? Okay, are you serious? I I didn't think anything could get lower than Charlie 2, but this has hit an all-time low. So, So let me, I guess, start with this. Define great. Drinks with great minds of history. I did this. Did you let, did you make it through the whole episode, Cherry? Because I gave a whole spiel for you at the end. I heard it, but define great for me. Oh, so this, so it's, so I didn't, so this isn't like an homage thing, like where you're making fun of the way I pronounced homage. Oh, no, no. Oh, you are going to do stuff like that. Okay, so great. Great is like large or powerful, significant, in uh, in large importance. I don't know the four, are you going to give me the formal definition, Webster's? Okay. Well, these are the definitions I found about great. Um, of an intensity considerably above the norm or average. Bonnie Prince Charlie. Of quality or eminence considerably above average. Bonnie Prince Charlie. My ass, Bonnie Prince Charlie. Prince Charlie. <laughs> so out of all of the hundreds of thousands of historic figures that you could possibly choose... What on earth? You are so anti-Stuart, it's unreal. And he was number 21. Okay. I mean, you've had 21 people in history. Mm-hmm. What makes you think that he ranks in the top 20? Oh, it doesn't necessarily work like that. I mean, you can't just do the Stalins, the Washingtons. you got to bring in those characters on the side that bring up a unique, different perspective. I mean, in all honesty, he launched a revolution that questioned the security of the British Empire. Great. Where is the great? So that's my first criticism. <laughs> my, second, my second criticism, are you going to define why he's called Bonnie? Oh, that's Scottish. He's like handsome. Well, don't you think he's the Bonnie Prince? Been... It's a history podcast. I mean, he's Bonnie Prince Charlie. Plus, he's an Outlander character. You just haven't made it through Outlander. Bonnie's a very common phrase. You're a Bonnie lass. You're a Bonnie lad. But what, what does it mean? It's like handsome. Okay, yes, but don't you think you've got this very odd name for this this whatever very vanilla person? Don't you think you should have defined that? If I was writing an essay, probably still wouldn't. He's Bonnie Prince Charlie. I mean, it is a history podcast. Every now and again, I can have a freebie. Don't you think that non-historians, which I would assume that our podcast is for everybody, not just for people who eat, live, and breathe history. You ready for this one? Definition to provide? Yes. And I'm sure that those... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Those listeners who actually listen to every episode of the show would have heard me refer to him as handsome many times. From the, the first minute I listened to it and I'm just like, why the fuck is he called Bonnie Prince Charlie? And I, I was wanting that answer for all 45, 39 of the podcast. Let's throw Bonnie out. Charles Edward Stewart. Didn't like his story, didn't find it interesting. Sometimes it surprises me that you find there you like a rebel every now and again. Do you think he was a rebel? 
he was pretty much a drunk. Only at the end. Only at the end. Socialite who lived off of his family's wealth and died lazy, just alone and miserable. Yeah. Yeah. Great minds fall hard. I mean, what do you want me to say? He's the perfect story. How about that what if? That what if was spot on. The what if was half of the podcast. Well, it was it was it was actually one thir- fifth of the podcast. I timed it to make sure. Uh, oh, I love when you question the foundations of the show. So, anyways, I just kept I just kept focusing on words and Bonnie Prince Charles. Mind you, I mean I can't go into every. There's no point. So, like with Great Minds, that piece, that Great Minds. Actually, when I define Great Minds, I'm using it from the historical term of like the people at the top who drove things, the agents who had a lot of acting power, not the people below the ran, you know, the random figures or the social history or anything like that. So that's where that comes from. But in you reality, said at, you said at the end of his life he was drunken crownless and in exile that to me that was the last line that was the last line yeah that does not define greatness nor amazingness it can stalin died in a puddle of his own piss washington was literally bled out to death by his doctors jefferson who the fuck knows what happened to him you know i mean it how the great mind story ends, Christina wasn't much different. She just lived off of the wealth of her family's name as she chose to go into exile. She was a renegade. He was born into exile and tried to reclaim his throne. That is something. You talked about him. Oh, no. One of the sources that I consulted talked about him being irrational. So how can we equate somebody being irrational with a great mind? Joseph Stalin. We get it. You're anti-steward. I knew this was going to happen. Uh <laughs> Did you like the story of the 45? Was the rebellion of any interest to you? Because I just thought it was in the grand scheme of history. You like you like to study Commodore Perry. That, that is what saved us from the War of 1812. Is great. Oh, that's that perspective. <laughs> but I wanted to start with a good psych term. You know, when you start the podcast already setting me up for failure to hate person so that's an example of what's called a self-fulfilling prophecy insight so um self-fulfilling prophecy is when other people's expectations of you then influence your behavior so when i hear my name mentioned in the first five minutes with a sarcastic tone what do you what mindset do you think i went into the last 40 minutes with? so you think that i'm going to this was shorter for you i thought it'd be shorter but so you're saying that if i would have gone in and said sherry's gonna love this guy oh my god you're gonna love him uh you would have been better off maybe but it just Set me up for failure from the get-go, and it just grew from then. All right, so self-fulfilling prophecies. That's what Sherry's brought for us tonight. So, Sherry, why don't you tell us what is Oh, you told us what the self-fulfilling prophecy is. But instead, I thought we would go for uh, a little exercise that I sometimes do with my students in class. And I don't remember because I don't keep track of what we talked about on other podcasts. But have we ever talked about uh, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs? I think so. I think so, but maybe not. Okay. Abraham Maslow was a humanistic psychologist and his theory called the hierarchy of needs really um, was one of the foundations for the idea of 
looking at people's mental processes and behaviors relative to their ability to grow and achieve as a human being. So his theory um, originally, uh, which was proposed in the 1950s, um, kind of has five different layers to it. And the idea behind it is um, people are motivated to act the way they do to meet their needs. And the very highest level of needs is what is called self-actualization. Uh, self-actualization is the idea of somebody meeting or, or reaching their full potential, which I certainly don't think uh, Bonnie Prince Charlie even got close. So I want to go through the different hierarchy of needs because the theory suggests that the reason why Bonnie Prince Charles wasn't able to reach his full potential is because the other of layers of needs underneath him failed to be met. So we're going to play a little. So okay, that sounds fun. Okay, so self-fulfilling prophecy, that was just about me driving your opinion. Okay, that's done. That's done. But that is fun. Who came up with that, by the way? The self-fulfilling prophecy? The research that made it famous came from um, a piece of research that was done by a Stanford researcher and a principal out in California, a very interesting one uh, that is sometimes called the Pygmalion effect. And for anybody who knows the George Bernard Shaw play uh, that the movie My Fair Lady was based on, um, it's the idea that, um, you know, this, this, and again, this is a terrible, very politically incorrect example at this point in time, but uh, basically a speech therapist uh, found this woman in England who spoke with this horrible Cockney accent because she was a flower seller in London and he made a bet with uh, another speech language pathologist that he could change the way she spoke and pass her off. Isn't that the plot line of My Fair Lady? That's what I just Oh, said. I missed the My Fair Lady part. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> So My Fair Lady was based on this George Bernard Shaw play, and it's based on the Greek myth of Pygmalion who carved a sculpture of a woman um, and thought she was so beautiful that he wished that she came to life. And because he had this belief that she would, she did. Oh, okay. I thought you were describing the Pygmalion, not My Fair Lady. I was like, that sounds like exactly like My Fair Lady. <laughs> Uh, that's the storyline. So the idea is, uh, you know, because this man believed that he could, um, you know, teach this woman social graces and pass her off as a lady that probably influenced her behavior. Now, of course, there's a whole dark storyline. He basically held her without. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, story. I could have danced all night. I could have danced all night. Right. Yeah. All right. So but anyway, so you wanted to talk about Maslow's hierarchy of need. Um, so let me just get back to the original. So. There was a school outside of San Francisco that the principal decided to, you know, look to see if this could happen, worked with the Stanford researcher. And what they did was they took a teacher at every grade level and told the teacher before school started during the year that the teacher was getting all the best and brightest students at the grade level because the teacher was really great. The students were really great. And the principal was really excited to see what these students were going to do all together with this great teacher for the year. So what they did was they did academic testing at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year. And they found that not all students, but especially the younger students, um, ended up um, being the highest achievers on the grade level in this class. But the deal was, is that these kids really were not the best and brightest. They were just any general mixed bag of kids. But they talked about how the teachers' expectations of the students being great and bright and engaging. Define and great. What? Define great. No. <laughs> From three different sources for you before. Uh, that probably influenced their behavior. So that's where self-fulfilling prophecy came. 
Well, that's fascinating. Thanks for explaining that. Sorry, it just was, it really was an intriguing way to start. I just didn't realize it was just about me. All right, so you want to talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay, so we're going to try see if we can figure out why Bonnie Prince Charlie didn't reach his potential. Okay, so the foundational level of needs are physiological needs, needs that humans have to keep us alive, uh, like food, drink, shelter, sleep, things like that. So based on what you know about him, I would guess that those needs were met, right? For the most part, being in exile might have left some sort of, you know, mental, physiological vacancy there. I mean, you know, plus being the son of a, uh, a monarch is always going to lead to some detachment. But I wouldn't say necessarily that he didn't, that he failed there. Okay. So those, those bottom tier needs were met, okay? Um, so the next level of needs are what are called safety and security needs. Um, so they have to do, for example, with uh, feeling that you're secure in your home, in your finances. Um, so I would guess that, that he, his needs were met there as well. I'm saying no. Yeah. I would say no, honestly, because... He was at the whim of whatever Pope supported him. He might have, I mean, he did have the support, I guess, in, to some extent of some Polish support. I mean, I'm not going to say he was going to end up destitute on the street, but if, you're, if, you, if your grandfather was king of England, your father has always claimed to be king of England and Scotland, and your birthright is in question, I would, I, I would say about 50%. Phys like the, the basic essential needs for life, I guess were probably never really in that much question during his life. But he's probably thinking beyond his life for, for his legacy's sake, for his children's sake, if he had any, he didn't. But for his, his, his long-term family's sake, that's, that's always in question, I think. So it, okay. okay. So, so according to Maslow's theory, um, you know, his second tier of needs were not, completely met. So that likely added to the reason why he was not able to reach his full potential. So the middle tier of needs are the love and belongingness needs. And this has to do with intimate relationships and not just romantic, but intimate family relationships, intimate platonic relationships. And so in my estimation, because I didn't know those details you said about security, um, that's where I think things started falling apart for him. I would agree. The loss of his mother was particularly hard on him. He never really, I mean, even the women that he had that I would say that he loved or cared for, it was always like a, it comes to mind, uh, Tyrion from Game of Thrones and Shay in the, the show. You know, how, to to what extent is there really any love there? And his, his wife, and he had no solid relationship at, at all. He had no children. His brother it was relatively estranged whenever he joined the papacy. His father, I mean... Do I think he served his father's cause for his father? I don't think that they were that close. I mean, his the historiography there has changed. James's role in all this, his activeness, his his caringness, things like that. So I, I would agree with you that here we start to see a crumbling. And I think that a function of the monarchy is the using of people to jockey their way up into their rule. Um, so I think that any relationship that a monarch forges is subject to that. Which, I agree. I agree. And that's my thought too. Yeah. A healthy relationship. So anyways, okay. So we've got 
damage. Uh, we got a good foundation with a damage at the next level, damage in the middle level, and then uh, the um, the fourth level before the self actualization piece of Maslow's hierarchy needs um, are esteem needs. Um, somebody's needs to feel accomplished or feel prestige. So, what do you think about? Bonnie, Prince Charlie with that. Well, I guess this is where the what if comes in. I mean, he certainly made a gamble for that prestige. He certainly was willing to, I think, work for that legacy secured. And I think he had that kind of sense of there was a cause surrounding his family, the, the Jacobite cause. And I think that probably fueled him, thrust him forward a little bit. But I think that he ultimately failed to achieve that greatness in the end. And I mean, we've discussed this with Charlie too, because you hated him too, um, that sometimes great minds have to be the ones. More, more. You hate Barney Prince Charlie more. See, it's funny because this is actually one of the most well-received and best feedback episodes I've I've done uh, and stories. When does Sherry ever go along with the crowd? So that's never, it. never. But, but I think that that's, that's it too, is that's where Barney Prince Charlie failed and felt something was missing maybe, you know, he thought he was destined to do something greater than he achieved and ultimately failed to achieve greatness. Is that what you were thinking too? Well, yeah. And I mean, I was just, you know, you know, you made the little comparison to George Washington, but even when George Washington decided not to run for president again, and he, he went back to his home, I think that there was always respect for him and he died being a well-respected person. Um, of course. Um, this person did not. But it, it, that's the interesting piece of the story, in my opinion, I guess. Maybe that's part of the reason I chose him, is that there's a divergent path between the two. Up into a certain point, they can almost be virtually compared in the same exact way, the same exact points, the same exact efforts, the same exact, well, not the same exact, but similar causes, taking up the cause of the people, maybe not as reluctantly as George Washington. But, it, but then there's that divergent piece, that failure, and that's what brought up, maybe, that, and that's what... I've wanted to cover Bonnie Prince Charlie for a while now, but there's never really been a fit, and I had greater minds to cover. You're totally right. But that what-if piece, I think, was a part of the fun for me, which is certainly something I'm trying to showcase this season. But anyway, so what is the fifth level then? So the fifth level is self-actualization, where somebody meets their meets their full potential or reaches growth. Uh, no, and he didn't. So the theory is that when we look at people who aren't, meeting or trying to grow or reaching their potential, there are reasons that underlay that, that come from other types of needs that have not been met in their life. And I just think with him, I think that, um, you know, the, the foundation was there, but every other tier of needs, uh, according to this theory that was proposed well after this man's lifetime, I think it, it, gives reasons as to why that was not possible. And Washington's another great example for that. A great. Do you have your students pick someone they know and walk through their lives or do you pick a person yourself? I have them pick a cartoon character. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. Who's the most common? SpongeBob. Oh, okay. Oh God. But I mean, Washington is a great one too, right? He had every opportunity for success. His, he lost his brother, but yeah. But I, but I think it's different because I think that, you know, you know, this, this person died lonely and forgotten. And I don't think that was the case with Washington. So when I look at somebody who is a great mind, you know, we have our battle royales and we talk about legacy and footprint, you know, while he may have participated in some things that may have steered the course of history one way or the other, 
I, I just see him as, as not reaching his full potential. And I think that there is some responsibility in leadership, whether you inherit it or whether you um, um, assume it or whether you are elected to it, to be as great as possible. And I, I don't think he was. But I, I think if you, if you analyze it from Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think you start to see the reason why that was not possible that somebody in order to become great or to be self-actualized, according to the theory, uh, would have to have their basic physiological needs met. Uh, they would have to have safety and security um, in their lives. And that can be physical or that can be metaphorical. Um, they have to have sound, intimate relationships. And that can look like a variety of things. Um, they have to be able to feel like they've been accomplished, like they are, have led a worthy life, that their accomplishments have been worthy. And I just think the absence of all of those different layers of needs pointed to the fact that he probably never was going to get to that point. And when you see other leaders, and I mean, I, I think it's a little bit of a far stretch to apply a, a 20th century theory to people who lived well before. That. But that's what we do. Um, well, but I think that you can start to understand why that possibility just was not going to work out for him that way. Right, right, right. No, I think that's great. That's that's really interesting. I, I mean, I think it's a fun way to sit back and say, and I mean, maybe it'll come up again, you know, where do these, how do we determine these great minds are great? Where did they fail? Why did they fail? And I think we do that for a lot of different reasons and went through a lot of different lenses on this show. Well, and when you look at, um, you know, his vices, um, you know, by all accounts, he was an alcoholic um, and a rather abusive person to a lot of people in his life. Um, but he was trying to get his security, um, trying to get people to love him, um, using that to medicate himself. And so, um, you know, Maslow's theory is not only about, you know, what needs are there or what needs aren't there, but it also looks at how people try to get their needs met. And some people do it in positive, healthy ways and some people don't. And so I think that that was another, you know, another good example of that. No, totally. Absolutely. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that's our psychology term for tonight. That's from the 19... 1950s. 1950s, big psychology period. Anybody who works in human services, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is always a point of analysis. You know, you look at somebody, um, you know, who is, you know, mentally unwell or somebody who's stuck in throes of depression, or you look at somebody who is just struggling in social aspects of their life, you can go to the hierarchy of needs. And, you know, the, the basic example I always give my students is if they think back to their elementary school days when they were um, asked to take a test uh, once we started um, testing in, in the mid-1990s. Um, one of the things I always remember fondly is how they got fed before their tests. Um, they would get packs of gummies or granola bars or mints or gum. Well, the reason for that is because if you want somebody to have their, you know, to achieve things, and that's part of those esteem needs, um, they have to have fuel in their body. That's a basic logical needs. So that's why we feed our kids before tests. So, um, you know, it's, it's still a, a cornerstone. The theory has evolved a little. Um, Maslow passed away in the 1980s, but it is still something that researchers are working with. Um, but, you know, on its very basic level, it helps, I think, explain a lot of human behavior, um, even something that happened hundreds of years ago. Fascinating. Very cool. Well, yeah, if you can apply it to times afterwards, why can't you look back and say, wow, maybe that's that explains something. That's what we do on Twisted Psych. So 
All right. Well, hey, that was uh, fascinating. I, I mean, I certainly remember Maslow. I mean, we've talked about it maybe in passing. It's hard to figure out what we've talked about and what, yeah. what we talked about the show. Uh, so, you know, now for the chaser, I discussed the War of Jenkins ear, which you don't need to know about. Uh, but even I also discussed, do you know about the War of Jenkins ear? No, I said, thank God I don't need to know. about. Oh, OK, good. Yeah. But I also discussed cryogenics. And I was wondering if that fits anywhere into the psychology world and what your thoughts on cryogenics are. And then I thought, what the hell? We can talk about the body farm if you want to, too. So listeners, follow the link in the show notes. Get access to this exclusive Last Call bonus episode of A Twist of Psych and so much more Patreon content out there. So that people can then come and study the skeletal remains. Oh, wow. And I also believe that you can donate your body directly to that facility, not necessarily the body farm as well. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So you know, brought into I mean, that's neat. Yeah, and the man who started it is now in his nineties, um, and uh, frequents the same restaurants as my in-laws in Knoxville, Tennessee. I know. I knew there was a connection there. Yes, fantastic. Well, anything else you want to bring up that came to mind for Patreon land, or do we want to head out? Uh, I'm good. Okay. All it's right. Well, we will head out of uh, cryogenics and body farm land. And back into the main episode, I grabbed a yingling in the process. Uh, but that was Patreon Land. Listeners, just follow the link again in the show notes to get access to that. And uh, if you want to learn more about uh, what we just discussed on death, dying, grieving, cryogenics, and uh, what you can do with your body after you die, not trying to sell it to you. That was something else we discussed, too. Uh, you can just follow the link in the show notes and get access to that exclusive Patreon bonus content. But Sherry, any final thoughts for us on A Twist of Psych tonight? Well, not necessarily to twist a psych, but just my my continual head shaking is why this man was part of the podcast. But, um, you know, he traded in Polish crown jewels for weapons. For potential Scottish and English crown jewels. Well, now, I, I don't have any Polish crown jewels, but I, I have a lot of jewelry pieces that my grandmothers gave me, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. What a dig. What a dig at Bonnie Prince Charlie. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, he had a a different background than other, you know, Western European monarchs having Polish in him. But how dare he sell the Polish crown jewel? Well, you know, that's actually fairly common. Like uh, Joseph Bonaparte made off with a Spanish, a set of Spanish crown jewels when he fled Spain after Napoleon's fall, used them in America to live off the rest of his life. You know, like it's just, it's actually more common trend, I guess is what I'm saying. than maybe we, we know. Whatever doesn't mean I have to like it. It's, it's like, it's, you it's don't have to. No. So that was bothersome. And then I was reading some other resource about uh, Bonnie Prince Charles and, and there were, paragraphs dedicated to how in his later years he favored thermal baths if you have nothing else to say about somebody's life that they took hot baths toward the end of their life i I just think we've run out of gas on this person yeah 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 yeah. they definitely ran out of gas he 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 basically fell into obscurity and just uselessness yeah and that's true I mean, don't get me wrong, hot baths, a few drinks, you know, it doesn't sound that bad, but... Prostitutes say... It was the 1700s. And that's why he didn't self-actualize. Yes, yes. Well, yes, he certainly was a little more uh, self-serving, I think, than... But I don't know. Depends Depends on what you read and what you believe. Uh, interesting character. I was amazed when the book I bought had like 600 pages on him. I was like, what the fuck? I can't write... I agree wholeheartedly. Oh my gosh.
No, I mean, I'm not saying he's the greatest of great minds. I mean, I rated him fairly, I think so, on the show. I think you overrated him. Well, I found him more entertaining than you. But entertaining doesn't mean that you're great. It's one part of the scale of greatness, so on this show, it kind of does. I also think that you were nice to him with the piece of shit points, because he was a piece of shit. I mean, he was pretty abusive to the women in his life. Um, He should have had more piece of shit points taken away. Well, personal actions towards individuals that we have relations with has typically put them in the two area. Uh, I think Jefferson got an extra bump up for that. I but remember there's a sliding scale there, right? How do you take away six points from Pawnee Prince Charlie when we took away six points from Joseph Stalin, who killed 50 plus million people? So there's a there's a scale of not to say one shittiness is worse than the other, but just a scale to that we, I try and reference in my mind. But so you said you had some final thoughts on what if and something with psychology there. No, I didn't have any final thoughts on that. I did think it was interesting, however, um, in the Polish culture and, uh, you know, two of his middle names were Polish. So I always think that that was his mother's uh, nod to her heritage. Uh, But he was born on uh, New Year's Eve, which is the Feast of St. Sylvester, uh, which is a holy day that is celebrated in Poland. Uh, Actually, my maternal grandfather's birthday as well. Um, And so, um, you know, they they talk a lot about, um, you know, the 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 myth behind that date as possibly influencing his behavior, which I thought was interesting. And then um, that was just uh, in an episode of father Brown that I watched, which is fantastic. What is, what is that? Is that a new show? Father Brown is uh, a Catholic priest in England. Who's also a a crime sleuth. And (laughs) he walks around solving mysteries that the police can't solve in his little priest collar. And it's just, I love it. My whole family hates it, but I love Father Brown. But every season there's this episode with a man named Hercule Flambeau. And he steals holy relics. That's his big thing. But him and Father Brown are like friends of the priest and the thief. And it was it was all about the uh, St. Sylvester, who I didn't know much about. But that's funny that he brought that up. But anyway, so that's part of his failure. See, there you go. He was doomed. Self-fulfilling prophecy. So any other thoughts you want to bring to the table? Or are we... And, and honestly, for somebody that I hated, I think that I did a pretty good job on that. I loved being able to participate in evaluating him. He was my cartoon character. I love it. Uh, so the only other thought I had was uh, Flora McDonald's story. One thing that's puzzled me is why, when she didn't believe in his cause, would she help him escape? Was it a pity for his life or I just I, I struggled with that one? And what are you going to do with somebody like that? Just so bad. Just <laughs> so Bonnie Prince Charlie showed up on Flora's doorstep. It's like, fuck, I got to get this guy out of here. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We got a great Outlander theme song out of the whole story of Bonnie Prince Charlie. And maybe you have a different. Actually, you'll hate him even more if you watch Outlander. He's like a mook. And now what I'm thinking of doing when I have nothing better to do is watching the uh, the old film about him, which you said is available because. Oh, yeah. yeah. I found it in two seconds on, on online for free. So actually, future generations made him into like a popular cult figure of like devotion to a cause or things like that. He kind of became a popular image, which is interesting. He became a popular image in England of all places where he invaded, you know. So I don't know. Well, that's Bonnie Prince Charlie. Uh, And I'm also going to tell you, you you pick anybody else named Charles, I'm out. (laughs) You're on your twist of psych. I'm not doing any more of these weak ass Charles. 
Well, there was one question I had. Maybe that won't be my fault. But uh, there was one question I had that I wanted to put in Patreon, but we'll leave it in the main episode. A few weeks back, I asked the entire Shots crew uh, if there was one person that they would have get the full treatment. Not a birthday special, but like I covered them. We did psych. We did shots, everything. Sherry, who for you would be that person? Like just off the top of my head, name one person out of all the people. Well, you you said it's so easy to pick a great mind, you know, so... uh... Well, I mean, I, I mean, I guess I can allude to where I'm thinking my birthday special is going to go this year. But, uh, oh, I mean, am I supposed to like pick the time or just somebody who I think would be an interesting somebody, somebody you think would be an interesting showcase for the show beyond a birthday special where they get a twist of psych, a main episode, a chaser and everything. They've got a full story to be told. Ronnie James Dio. I don't know who the fuck that is. Ronnie James Dio um, is one of the founding fathers of heavy metal. And he passed away um, a number of years ago, but is incredibly well regarded. And what I think is fascinating about heavy metal is the culture that emanated from it. And uh, it is a culture that uh, is being carried on um, by middle-aged men right now. Um, but it is still a very viable uh, culture. And I, I think it's fascinating, but um, uh, you know, to be on to be on the cutting edge of an entire new genre of music. Um, and he started as kind of like a, a doo-wop type of singer um, and then, you know, evolved into being um, very mainstream heavy metal. Um, Don't tell us too much about him. I just need an answer. I just need it. Do you have a second choice just in case that one doesn't happen? To- <laughs> um, a second choice. Well, what I try to pick is, People who aren't royalty from Western Europe. Um, let's see, who else would be really interesting? Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a pivotal female. Uh, I mean, you, you've got you've got one coming up who I think is a good choice. Uh, uh, let's see, who would be a good female? Um, I, I, okay, so forget that idea. Um, I think Nelson, I think Nelson Mandela would be great to do. Okay, okay, for sure. Not a female, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's an odd choice for me, but I think looking at Betty Friedan or Gloria Steinem would be interesting. Okay, be interesting. those are some. So Miss Magazine, right? One of those is Miss Magazine, and the other is the Feminine Mystique. Yes. Um, Bet you didn't see me knowing all that, did you? about that yeah it's pretty good um i mean i think they would be interesting i'm trying to cast a little wider net um what was the second one i'm sorry i the betty for dan and gloria steinem gloria steinem yes but i probably choose gloria steinem although she is still alive and i know you don't like that uh but um you know um she was far she is far more charismatic than betty for dan ever was uh and and i think I think because of that, she has been able to be more impactful. But I think she would be interesting. Um, but far less well-known than Betty Friedan. You know, like, I think that's interesting. Well, that's it. If you enjoyed this chat about uh, the psychology behind Bonnie Prince Charlie and Sherry's venomous hatred for another uh, Charles Stewart, uh, you know, then let us know on Twitter and Instagram at DGMH History or on the Drinks with Great Minds in History 
uh, podcast Facebook group. And be sure to leave the show a great, hopefully, five-star review wherever you listen. If you loved or hated Bonnie Prince Charlie, let us know. Shoot me an email at DGMH Tobacco. Uh, you know, that's linked in the show notes or whatever. But if you enjoyed this episode of Drinks with Great Minds in History, then I hope you'll consider supporting the show over on the DGMH Patreon page. Their listeners can get access to all sorts of bonus content available to supporters of all levels, from bonus last call chats, from your favorite Psych and Shots episodes, to extra moments with Mr. DGMH and now Cullen, plus what I'm teaching. Cullen chats China Pete, chats Portugal, another moment with another moment with Mr. DGMH on the 30 Years War and pre-game episodes where we catch up chat history and answer listener questions. So what are you doing a shot of tonight, Sherry? I inject one other thing because you didn't mention the podcast. Do you know that Bonnie Prince Charlie's body is buried in one place and his heart is buried in another? I did not know that. His body's buried in Vatican Grotos. I saw it. I I saw the two. His heart is in an urn in a smaller church. But where is where is Bonnie Prince Charlie's heart? Just in another place in Rome? Uh, oh, I'll find it. You don't have to tell me right now, but that's going to be something I'm going to need to know when I go to Rome. Okay, I will look that up. I will look for it. And I look forward to finding the rest of Bonnie Prince Charlie. I went up to the guy. You'll like this. I went up to the guy in the Vatican Grotos, and I was like, buongiorno. <laughs> He's like, buongiorno. And I was like, um, and I said, do you speak English? He's like, yes. And I was like, okay, do you know where Bonnie Prince Charlie is. I'm in the grottoes underground, like where they're actually their tombs are. Like, I mean, I talked about that spiritual moment I had with Christine of Sweden. And he's like, and I'm like, Bonnie Prince Charlie. He's got a big monument right up on top, like huge. It's a huge Stuart monument. And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, great. Well, whatever. I found the monument and he's buried somewhere underneath it. So you didn't see his tomb? Uh, so there are some areas of the grottos that are blocked off and I've gathered based on my strategic position, you know, the bodies and the, the monuments in uh, St. Peter's. He's, him and his mother and father and brother have a big monument in St. Peter's. Right. And um, I, I'm gathering that it was in the sectioned off part that I wasn't allowed to go to. Sadly, Mr. DGMH doesn't have the weight with the Vatican like he thought to. I guess we have to start going to church again. But either way, what are you doing a shot of tonight, Sherry? Um, well, I'm thinking I made an error. I probably should have got some good Polish potato vodka to do, but I just felt I needed a shot of tequila after spending the better part of the day with Bonnie Prince Charlie, something to make the pain go away. I always need a shot of tequila, not to make the pain go away, but to make the day just better. I am drinking uh, Cantera Negra, a uh, silver tequila. It was one of those gifts, again, from a couple of my friends that uh, celebrated my departure, a departure that I celebrate every day. Uh, so, uh, And I'm drinking it out of another gift, my Sigmund Freud, Freudian Sips coffee mug, where it says, when you say one thing, but you mean your mother... <laughs> what's your tequila Sousa? uh yeah is it Sousa? is it Sousa? somebody tell me i pronounce this but it is uh it is called dragon uh no vampire slayer Ooh, bonnie prince charlie the vampire slayer no i'm a big buffy fan do you know that father brown buffy everything it's so great all right well what uh i saw an interview with a vampire when it opened at midnight in new orleans oh yeah with uh brad pitt Tom Cruise. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, let's raise a glass uh, for Sherry. Let's raise a glass glass reluctantly. You have tequila and a coffee mug? Well, it seemed like the right thing to do. But yeah, I mean, I'm a professional at this. Don't drink tequila out of coffee mugs at home. All right. Even if I do it. 
All right, well, reluctantly, Sherry, I ask you to raise a glass to Bonnie Prince Charlie. At least it made for another good fight between us over yet another Stuart. But you know what? I studied the Stuarts in grad school. I have a special spot in my hearts for all of them. But on that note, good, bad, failure, great. I, I don't know my vocabulary. At least I said homage right this time in the show. And for that, we say cheers. Cheers. That was way more. Uh, I... But you did for having it in a coffee mug. Well, I didn't quite. It was an eye pour, but I poured way more than a sh shot in that cup. That's a good thing you don't have to wake up tomorrow morning. 7.40. I got the alarm already set. Oh, fuck you, man. I love it. That's a perfect way to end it. Cheers. <laughs>